friends, and welcome to another episode of Fat Flips and Maple Dips, episode 102. We are going to be dedicating this week's episode to a Canadian and really North American television legend, uh, Alex Trebek, who hosted Jeopardy for longer than either of us have been alive, which is a crazy, crazy statistic. Um, but before we get into talking a bit more about Alex Trebek, thanks for taking the time out of your day to listen to this episode. Wherever you are listening on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube Podcasts, Google Music, whatever the hell it's called now, TuneIn, Stitcher, Breaker, Podbean, you name it, there's a thousand podcast platforms out there. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to learn more about the show, feel free to give us a follow. We're on Twitter at BFMD Podcast. That's where you can find most of our ramblings and whatever goings on we decide to retweet in the Blue Jays and baseball world. Patrick, I know Jeopardy and Alex Trebek meant a lot to you. So is there anything that you want to want to say before we get going in today's episode? Yeah, this is this is a sad day for, well, well, I guess it's not a sad day. It's been a sad week Yeah. for uh, for North Americans uh, and re- really everybody around the world who uh, even had a passing interest in Jeopardy. Alex Trebek was probably the penultimate game show host. You, you look at the Hall of Fame of, of game show hosts and. Alex Trebek is the the granddaddy, right? I mean, yeah. he's done it the longest. Uh, him and Pat Sajak and maybe Jeff Probst for Survivor. But mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. Trebek, Trebek will always be, be special for me because I grew up playing Jeopardy. And for me, it was always uh, a great uh, honor or privilege to, or however you want to say, uh, when I would face off against my dad. <laughs> in jeopardy and i would actually uh i would actually get more right than he was that made me feel like i was uh i was smart uh i, I don't know <laughs> i don't know why that was the measurement but uh nonetheless um r.i.p to alex trebek there's never going to be anyone like him i'm very curious to see who's gonna replace him because jeopardy will continue on uh without alex trebek um I don't know. It could be that Ken Jennings uh, player from years past. It could be yeah. LeVar Burton. could be Joe Rogan. I heard Joe Rogan's name thrown out there, too. I mean, I hope it's not Joe Rogan. No yeah. offense to Joe Rogan, but, I mean, it's not really his his thing. Um, but, yeah, it's just – it's what a huge loss that is. Especially in Canada where we're very fervent about Canadians being like, yeah, we're Canadian and we're we're proud of it. I don't know. It, is that sentiment sort of shared throughout uh, the Twitterverse? We 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 saw some RIP Alex Trebek stuff out there. Is that is yeah. this a is this a big sentiment? I think so. Honestly, I think Alex Trebek meant a lot to a lot of people. Just the fact that he's been around for so long. He's really been around for three generations of television viewer. So the fact that he did all of it with such, I guess, grace and class the whole time he was hosting Jeopardy uh, and gave back a lot of his time to community initiatives and was always just a standing, a stand-up guy. I think that just meant a lot to a lot of people. So I think that the sentiment is was shared across the, the world, not just on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, sure. it's kind of... It, this is a rough way to start an episode, but I mean, I think Alex Trebek knew... For a long time that he was ill and oh, yeah. the fact the fact that he kept going man what an absolute warrior 
What an yeah. absolute warrior. He was hosting two days before he passed away. So Yeah. And I mean they've uh, got they've got episodes banked all the way up till I think Christmas the last, Day. Yeah, Christmas Day would be the last episode and I mean it's gonna be an interesting Christmas to to start off with, uh, <laughs> with uh, with COVID and I think people thinking about Alex at Christmas is uh excuse me, appropriate. <clears throat> For sure. Perfect. Well, that being said, let's jump into some Blue Jays stuff here and into some other baseball-related news. Uh, starting off with uh, our ace, Hunjin Ryu. He finished third place in uh, Cy Young voting. Congrats to him on that. Obviously, uh, Shane Bieber was far and away the winner in that, but it was awesome to see uh, Ryu in his first year get that uh, that recognition, especially when a lot of experts had predicted that he would see a, a decline in the American League East. Obviously, it wasn't a typical American League East year, but we still played against all of our rivals quite a bit. Uh, a guy who did win an award, Teoscar Hernandez. He won the Silver Slugger Award for the American League. So hey. congrats <laughs> to Teoscar. I mean, the guy had the best season of his career, and he was rewarded for it, so nice to see that. Uh, I think the last Blue Jay to win a Silver Slugger may have been Jose Bautista, so uh, pretty cool to see that come back. Um a guy who was nominated for an award and didn't win, another one, Guriel, Lourdes Guriel Jr., was nominated for a gold glove in left field, which was kind of a surprise. But, I mean, for a guy who was is still learning the position, I think that recognition that he is putting in the work out there uh, is very cool. Uh, and then lastly, uh, Charlie Montoyo was nominated for American League Manager of the Year, and he finished third behind uh, Kevin Cash. And I, I believe now fired White Sox manager Rick Renteria. Um, so congrats to Charlie Montoya on that. It's nice to see the Blue Jays get some recognition when they did have a dramatic turnaround season. Um, last piece of happy news, uh, Chase Anderson is now a free agent. Uh, we, we declined. <laughs> we bought him out. We paid the 500000 to not pay him $9.5 million for 2021. Um, sorry, I, I said last piece of good news, but there's actually a lot more. I Friend of the show now, we can say that, Dan Schulman, is on the ballot for the 2021 Ford C. Frick Award uh, from the National Baseball Hall of Fame for broadcasters. Other big name on the on the nomination is Joe Buck, who's been a longtime broadcaster just like Dan, so it's pretty cool to see that. Um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has been posting a ton on social media about his off-season plans and workouts. He's obviously, as we mentioned last week or two weeks ago, cut down a lot of weight already, and it seems like he is taking the offseason very seriously, and I hope that continues. The Blue Jays did re-sign Robbie Ray to a one-year $8 million deal. That is definitely a, uh, a rotation uh, dealio, and Ross Atkins has also said that it appears as though Tanner Roark is going to be in the rotation uh, and that was done in an interview on Bob McCown's uh, podcast. So that's not great. Uh, any thoughts on the Robbie Ray tonight, Patrick? Are you happy to see him back? Is that a good deal? Uh, I like Robbie Ray. I think yeah, he has a lot of potential. He's clearly had some bad seasons here, uh, a few in a row, and that's not great. You yeah. hate to see it. Uh, but one year, $8 million, Robbie Ray. Yeah, I'll take it. I mean, yeah, that's a that's a show me deal, right? Yeah, he obviously has the potential. 
mm-hmm. to be a guy worth you know double that salary. But yeah. I am not a hundred percent sure on how he fits uh, on this team because I mean they're talking about picking up free agent pitchers but then we pick up Robbie Ray and obviously Tanner Rourke is still uh, on the roster so hey we've we've seen know, it before what... man you can never have too much starting pitching depth yeah I mean I don't know like <laughs> uh Ross Atkins said uh, on the uh, the interview that he did on Bob McCown's podcast uh, that Rourke is going to be in the rotation for 2021, which yeah. I don't know, man. Is he just saying know. that, though, for now? <laughs> did he say the Blue Jays rotation? He may be in a rotation for 2021. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> it's tough to say. I mean, I I think we're both of the the same opinion on Tanner Rorick that if we can trade him for uh, a signed um, Armando Galarraga baseball, we should probably do it uh, <laughs> because he's just not <laughs> worth very much. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think the Ray deal is good. Um, a guy the Blue Jays have been been linked to is Trevor Bauer. Uh, just like a lot of other top free agents, uh, Bauer's playing the field. He is tweeting out at pretty much every fan base about how he could see himself in that uniform. I know we, we talked about Bauer a few weeks ago and how his, I guess, antics, you could call them on social media, remind us of a former Blue Jays pitcher named Marcus Stroman, who, by the way, agreed to take the qualifying offer for the Mets. So he's going to make $18 million this season for a one-year deal in New York, uh, which you don't see too many players take qualifying offers. But I think in the uncertain times of the COVID-19 baseball landscape, taking $18 million for a year on a team who just has uh, who has a brand new loaded owner uh, might not be the worst idea for Marcus Stroman. So that's interesting. But any any closing any thoughts on Trevor Bauer? I know we kind of talked about him a couple weeks ago, but have you changed your mind at all? Do you want him in a Jays uniform, or you still want to see him elsewhere? No, I don't want him in a Jays uniform. Not because I think he's like a bad person. Uh, there's a lot of things he does I don't agree with, but and mm-hmm. we don't have to get into this. But ultimately, I just don't see how, as great a pitcher he is, I don't see how he would fit in, especially yeah. considering that Ryu and Ray and Rourke. Uh, oh, the three R's. <laughs> uh, they're they're all probably locked into rotation spots. I know Rourke. It's kind of iffy, but um, I don't know. I don't know. He wouldn't be a guy that I would pursue. Uh, certainly not over Taiwan Walker. And uh, we've been linked to Masahiro Tanaka as well, which <laughs> yeah. I know, like we're getting we're we're being linked to everybody, but I don't know. Yeah, it's just tough to say. I think the Jays are going to, like, they're doing their due diligence. Teams check in on every free agent to see if they're looking to make a move to that franchise or not. So I think the fact that we're kicking the tires on all these people is not surprising. I believe in the in the social media Twitter universe that we live in nowadays. Um, Ten years ago, we, we wouldn't have heard about all these rumors, but because of the the level of in-depth looks that we have at organizations, we see everything now. So I think we speculate a lot. Um, one thing I do want to get into here before we talk a little bit about a potential trade and our, our thoughts on that uh, is a, a really big moment for not only baseball, but professional sports. Uh, yesterday, 
the Miami Marlins made history by hiring uh, Kim, I believe it's pronounced Ng, Kim Ng as their yeah. general manager. She is the first female GM in not only Major League Baseball history, but I think in North American professional sports, if I'm wrong. But Kim has spent the last 30 years in baseball. 21 years were spent with the White Sox, Yankees, and Dodgers. And she's actually been a senior vice president with Major League Baseball uh, for the past nine years. So 30 years around the game. Uh, I, th- I believe MLB Trade Rumors had first started linking her to general manager jobs like 10 years ago. And she was actually like fourth or fifth in like their top 10 like eligible GM candidates back then. So it's it's taken a long time for that uh, glass ceiling in baseball to shatter. But I think it's really cool to see somebody who has really spent her whole life uh, in baseball um, get, a, get a chance. Uh, this, guy, this gentleman here, his name is Richard Lapchick. He is an expert in race and gender and sports. He works at the University of Central Florida. He said that he thinks this is the most noteworthy day for baseball since Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in 1947. That's pretty. Uh, that's a pretty big quote. Uh, do you think that's true, Patrick? Is this is this as big of a moment as people think it is? Yes, mm-hmm. it is. This is. I I don't know if I would necessarily. I I, I would be hesitant to compare it to the Jackie Robinson. Uh, moment in history however this is as big a moment since then yeah for sure not just because uh she is uh, a woman but she's also uh, a woman who has uh non-caucasian heritage Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which uh, i i hope get doesn't get swept under the rug uh you know as a, a part of this, obviously we are uh, in the United States this past uh, two weeks, or I guess it's only <laughs> been a week now. Uh, we saw the glass ceiling broken with the uh, election of Joe Biden and uh, Kamala Harris. Right. With, uh, with uh, Kamala Harris uh, being um, both of um, uh, a number of different uh, heritages, uh, but also being the first uh, woman to serve as vice president. It's a big deal. This has been a tough year. 2020 has not been fun. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Um, but mm-hmm. as far as breaking glass ceilings, you'll love to see it. Stuff like this is only going to make the game better. And um, who would have thought the Miami Marlins, uh, very unassuming franchise, <laughs> out of nowhere, make this happen? And uh, you know what? I hope I, I hope she has tons of success. And, and I'm a hundred percent sure that she will. Yeah, and it's it's pretty cool. The I mean, obviously Derek Jeter is the CEO of the of yeah. the Marlins, and he is the first uh, CEO of Black Heritage uh, when he when his group bought the Marlins in twenty seventeen. And another uh, senior VP of the team, Carolyn O'Connor, is also one of the highest ranking women in professional sports. So the Marlins are a very diverse franchise, uh, top to bottom now. So I think that's. That's pretty cool, and like like Kim Ang is is fifty one, so she got into baseball at the age of twenty one. So she's been literally around the game for her whole professional career. Um, so it's it's pretty cool to see this happen, and I'm I'm glad that uh, that it was able to happen in a year that could use some positive news. Um, back to the Blue Jays, hundred percent, man. Yeah, we've uh, we've been talking about uh, Francisco Lindor, who, by the way, happy birthday to Francisco Lindor today, future Blue Jays. Uh, 
level of excellence member I saw in a tweet on, on Twitter this morning. So uh, happy birthday to him. Um, we, we were talking a little bit about this in our, our Facebook Messenger chat when we were planning this episode this week. And I'm of the opinion that we should almost do whatever it takes to get Francisco Lindor. Um, I know you have a differing opinion. Um, one of the, the scenarios that's been that's being floated uh, is trading um, Guriel along with like a couple of players, maybe like a guy like Jordan Groshans uh, to the Indians for Francisco Lindor. The, the, the kicker with Lindor is that he's only got this coming year before he hits free agency. He's got one year of team control left. So the Blue Jays would be really dependent, dependent on extending him if this trade would be a success. Would you be in favor of, of trading for Francisco Lindor, Patrick? And if you are, what would you be willing to give up for him? Man, this is a tough one to tackle because on one hand, Francisco Lindor, uh, definitely one of the best uh, shortstops in baseball. Yeah. Um, but we already have one of those. So I don't know what this means. There's a lot of implications for trading for Francisco Lindor. I'm hoping that the untouchables would include uh, Biggio, Bichette, Guerrero, uh, and Pearson for sure. Um, the name that I've heard or I've seen as a comparable when it comes to trying to equate the Mookie Betts trade with a Francisco Lindor trade is mm-hmm. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I am not a fan of this. I still think we have yet to see peak Gurriel, and he just had a season where he hit 308, for God's sake. Yeah. Uh, I understand you got to give to get, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I, w- I wouldn't trade one of our premier outfielders to, to pick up Lindor. I would definitely be open to the idea of trading some of our prospect pool. Uh, we are top five, top three, something like that, yeah, prospect pool. Uh, and we have uh, a bevy of shortstops. And as yeah. much as I would love for Jordan Groshans to be a part of this team in the future, although I would I see him more as a third baseman than a shortstop. Yeah. Uh, if he's got to be one of the pieces, we got to do we got to we got to trade for it. Kind of the same situation with Danny Jansen. I mean, I I love Danny Jansen, man. We're we're huge fans of him on this show, but at the same time. If we can get Francisco Lindor and we can, you know, trade trade him on like the the contingent or on the uh, the idea that he he has signed long term, right? Uh, to to pull off the trade, yeah, absolutely, you got to do it. The guy is he might be the best shortstop in the American League. I can't think of anybody right now who's better than him. I think he's a top twenty five player in baseball and. Oh, God, yes. We saw the LA Dodgers trade for a top five player in baseball in Mookie Betts and then won a World Series. Granted, the Dodgers had been to the dance multiple times over the last five years and hadn't been able to win it. Uh, So they were in a bit of a different situation than the Jays, probably two or three years ahead of us in terms of where we are competitively. But at the same time, Francisco Lindor is not an old man. He is a young player who's still under team control, uh, coming into a clubhouse that fe- features other high potential young players, as you just alluded to, with guys like Gary Bichette, Guerrero Biggio, Alejandro Kirk, Nate Pearson, the list just keeps going on and on. The Jays have this this depth of, of incredible talent. Um, 
I'm of the opinion that if there's a scenario where we have to give up a player like Guriel and a player like Groshans, or a prospect like Groshans, I should say, a guy who has like 200 at bats professionally total, I think we have to do it. You don't get an opportunity every day to secure a top 25 player in baseball, especially one who isn't on a Mike Trout or Mookie level bets or Mookie bets level salary yet. Uh, and, and Francisco Lindor is not worth $400 million or whatever. Mike Trout is worth more than that, but that's not what he signed for. But <laughs> he's not worth that level. He's not quite in that $300 million range. But, I mean, the Jays could realistically look to lock him up on, like, an eight-year, say, $200 million contract, whatever it may be, um, for Francisco Lindor. And that would probably be adequate for what he is worth. Um, but, yeah, I think that's something that we're going to be exploring. The Jays are betting favorites at this moment to land DJ LeMahieu and Masahiro Tanaka. Uh, also betting favorites to trade for Chris Bryant, which seems strange. Mm-hmm. I know we talked mm-hmm. a little bit about that. And I mean, yeah, we we do need a third baseman, but I don't know if, if he's the guy. And then obviously we're second in the bets to trade for Francisco Lindor and also to sign Justin Turner, who is an interesting third base uh, Pick up, and I know Hendo. We, can't we have sign all these. We yeah, and I, and all these I know. Uh, yeah, but it is possible. We don't have the roster space. Uh, and when we had Hendo on, he was talking about finding the stopgap third baseman, and Justin Turner at age thirty six could could be that guy. While we figure out internally if uh, we're going to be bringing in a guy like Lindor or whether Austin Martin or Jordan Groshans plays third base for us, or if Vladimir Guerrero does what he says he's going to do and takes third base back by force if necessary. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting times in, in Blue Jay land. It's a, it's a good time to be a, a Blue Jays podcaster because we've been getting plenty of ammunition to talk about on the show. Uh, but really, let's let's jump into the meat and potatoes of, of today's episode. There's not a lot of, of outfield grading to do based on the fact that our outfield was, for the most part, pretty healthy. Obviously, uh, Grichuk missed a few games here and there, and then uh, Teoscar missed a couple of weeks with his oblique strain. But all in all, uh, we had three guys really take the the brunt of the outfield positions. Uh, before we get into those guys, guys who participated, got participation awards, would be Derek Fisher, Anthony Alford, Jonathan Davis, and Billy McKinney. They all share time as extra outfielders, and I think, are we in agreement that they all get incompletes in terms of grades, Patrick? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I don't feel comfortable really grading any of them, <laughs> um, especially because there's just not enough uh, yeah. collectively uh, uh, among them. I, I know some guys in the infield we did grade when they had less than uh, 13 or they had like 12, 13, 14. And some of these guys did have that many appearances, but it's just, honestly, it's not worth it because collectively they're all going to add up to negative war anyway. And yeah, I, if I have to assign them a, a grade gun to my head, fine. D plus, um, I... <laughs> they, they barely did enough to, uh, to, yeah, to even warrant discussion. I'm happy for Anthony Alford. Uh, who will get a new opportunity in Pittsburgh. I definitely wish him a speedy recovery. Yeah. And uh, I think a fresh start was what he personally needed. Uh, as for Derek Fisher, uh, I think we still have. Uh, oh, God. Yeah, I think we still have a little bit of time on him before he's arbitration eligible. I think it's 2022. 
Um, well, Jonathan Jonathan Davis yeah. has been kicking around forever, and Billy McKinney is uh, gone, as far as I know. Um, because I thought that uh, a couple weeks ago when we talked about um, the trade, getting Billy McKinney and uh, what's his face, the oh god, Brandon Drury, <laughs> they're they're gone. Yeah, uh, they're gone now. So yeah, the the outfield for us is thinning, but I mean, invest that money. Get me a Jackie Bradley Jr. Please. I want Jackie Bradley Jr. in center field. Agreed. Yeah. I, I could I could see that happening. Yeah, you're and you're right. Derek Fisher is arbitration eligible. Um he's on his entry level deal still for this twenty twenty one season. Then he has three years of arbitration eligibility before he hits unrestricted free agency in uh, two thousand twenty five. But because of his age and service time which is over a year now, he does not have any options left to go back to the minor leagues. So if the Blue Jays are to remove him from the 25-man uh, roster, he would have to pass through waivers, which would leave him exposed to other teams to pick him up. And I say go for it because I don't know if anyone will touch him. Um, yeah, I think I'm in the same boat as you. I think if I had to give a guy a grade, it would be Jonathan Davis, and I would probably give him a C- minus just for playing incredible defense and also providing a little bit of an offensive spark from time to time. But let's get into the main guys. We've got three big ones. Let's start with Silver Slugger Award winner Teoscar Hernandez in right field. Um, yeah. Breakout year for Teoscar, right? I mean, probably our offensive MVP. I think if Bo Bichette hadn't been hurt, uh, it would have been, might have been a different story just based on the fact of how he started. But Teoscar was really, really solid the whole year. He was a little bit um shaky when he did come back from that oblique injury but i think that is to be expected he did hit some home runs after that time so it's not like he completely fell off the ledge the one alarming number is always going to be tasker's strikeout percentage which is 30.4 percent um compared to a walk percentage of under seven but if he can do what he did this year and put up a 146 wrc plus and 1.6 war over 60 games uh of which he played in 50 that is pretty good over a full season, let's say Teoscar plays in 150 games out of 162, that's a pretty good war. That's 4.8. That's a top. That's a top tier player in baseball. Um, I think for me, with with Teoscar, I've got to give him an A here, um, just because of the fact of the the immeasurable improvements. Uh, for him to get an A plus for me, I think that strikeout rate would have to be a little bit lower. I don't really care about the walks for him because if you're going to hit 16 home runs every 50 games, that's almost on pace for 50 home runs in a long season. I will take that with the strikeouts every day of the week. I just have to find a way to not give him an A plus because I'm not that kind of guy. How about you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Teoscar Hernandez is getting an A from me. There's some stuff I want to make sure it doesn't get lost in the weeds. While uh, Teoscar Hernandez uh, does have a very high K rate. It's actually down from his career averages. Yep. And from previous seasons, his walk rate is down a little bit, but his batting average is up 59 (laughs) points from last season. And again, have to emphasize this smaller sample size. Yes, it's not a full official season. It's not 162 games. There's nothing we can do about it. But looking at uh, everything else, OBP up, slug up. The guy is uh, a, a top tier hopefully future right fielder for us uh he's going to be an anchor in right field i think for a long time or at least i'm hoping these are jose bautista level numbers the difference is uh hernandez also stole six bases which 
uh, is kind of surprising because that's a tie for his career high yeah. uh, in a season where he played 75 fewer games uh, Fair enough. because of the shortened season. So I don't, I certainly don't think he's going to be a 20, 20 or 30, 30 player, although hitting 40 bombs is very possible. He might steal you 10, 15 bases, which again, extra offensive production that yeah. isn't at the plate. I'll take it every time. I, I I think he I I would say Ryu was our MVP, but I, our offensive MVP was definitely Tiasco Hernandez. I think we've got to give it to him. Uh, much credit to everybody else on the team, but just what he was able to accomplish. Uh, it was a very tough off season because you come back, you're ready in March, then you sit down for another two three months. Now you're back, and I mean he was great the whole way. I think I think if he had been able to play the full sixty, he would have given Luke Voigt a run for his money, winning that uh, home run title. Uh, for sure. For what it is, for what it is, I don't know. It deserves an asterisk or not in a shortened season, but I mean, whatever. Yeah, and I hope, for, I hope the Yankees overpay him. Yeah, and for what it's worth, uh, the projection systems are not bullish on Tasker Hernandez. They are projecting some regressions, especially in stats like BABIP uh, and his defensive statistics specifically. Teoscar is almost a, a wash defensively this year. He was almost a positive value defender, which is something he's never been in his career, so they are then he'll fall back to normal. Um, but uh, it'll be, it remains to be seen. I mean, projection systems are wrong all the time. They base their numbers primarily off of career norms and career averages, so if Teoscar is improving, he should be able to beat those handily. Uh, for the next guy, I'm going to throw it to you for, for your boy who you don't want to trade for, for uh, Francisco Lindor, Lourdes Fiel Jr. What do you got for him? Sure. Uh, let's just wrap up his stats very quickly. We don't want to barf a bunch at you. But um, 11 home runs, 33 RBIs, three stolen bases, and 57 games played for Gurriel. That K rate came way down to 21.4%. Yeah. You'll love to see it. Uh, his slash was 308. 348-534, so he was definitely one of those above-average players at the plate uh, for his position, way above uh, a replacement-level player. Uh, improved that batting average by 30 points. So even if even mm-hmm. if you slash that down by 30 points, he's still hitting close to 280, which is exactly what I've said he was all along ever since he debuted. Um, most impressive to his season, I think, was his play in the outfield. I don't think he's a positive value defender, which is weird because he did get a Gold Glove nomination. Uh, but Gold Glove or not, A for me, he absolutely deserved it. I'm dying to see if he can repeat this during a full 162-game season because I think he can go for 40 at the plate, 40 home runs. Yeah. And, and hit and, over 300. Yeah, you know what? Um According to some defensive metrics, like UZR, uh, Guriel was actually a positive value defender this season. So mm. what the more you know. And he only played uh, 60 less innings in left field this season than he did all of last year. So it was almost the same amount of innings for Lourdes Guriel Jr. this year as it was in his first season out there. So, I mean, uh, he improved from a marginally negative defender in left field last year to one that provided positive value. So, yeah, we'll give him that. Okay. No, I'm happy to be wrong about that. I don't know why I thought it was negative. It might have been that I was looking at something other than UZR. Uh, that's uh, that's probably yeah, there's 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 so many metrics out there. Um, yeah. The one the ones that Fangraphs likes, he was a positive value defender this year. 
All right. Well, hey, go Guriel. If anybody deserved an A plus uh, in the outfield, it would have been him. But we're not the kind of guy uh, <laughs> we can't really justify doing it, especially in a shortened season. How about the K rate coming down though? That's a big deal for Guriel. It makes yeah. a big difference. The K rate of the whole team came down. Yeah, and that's a I, big deal. I think that goes down to just having um, a better two strike approach. And we talked a lot, a lot about having Dante Bichette around the team. A big thing that he was hammering into everybody was two-strike approaches. We saw Bo Bichette lose his leg kick when he got the two strikes. He go for more of a toe tap just to be under more, more control. Um, and yeah, Guriel dropping his strikeout rate by 3.7% is huge. And also bringing up that walk rate by half a percentage point. Um, those numbers getting a lot closer together, still 15% apart. But uh, Guriel and Bichette are never going to be guys who walk a lot. But anytime you can see marginal improvements with walks going up and strikeouts going down, you take that any day of the week. Uh, I think the big thing for me with Guriel is the fact that um, he's a line drive machine. Like he reminds me a lot of, of Vladdy where I don't think either guy is ever going to hit more than 20, 25 home runs. Uh, but I do think that they're going to be doubles machines. We saw Guriel hit 19 doubles in 27 less games than last year where he, had, where he had 19. So, I mean, over the course of 162 games, Griel could be a 40 doubles kind of player. He'd be a 30 to 40 doubles kind of guy. So he has potential to be like a 40 doubles, 25 home runs player, which provides you incredible value. The one thing that I, I do see that has me a little bit pessimistic about Griel and Teoscar is that their BABIPs were both really high, that batting average on balls in play. Yeah. Those numbers typically regress Year over year, Guriel's career BABIP is actually 330. He hit 351 on all balls in play this season. So he has beat major league averages for his career. And even if that does decrease to league norms, I think he's still at worst like a 275 floor hitter, um, which is incredibly, incredibly good in today's baseball world, especially if you can hit 20 home runs a season. Um, I'm going to give him an A minus just because I don't think he had quite the season that Teoscar did. Uh, so I don't want to put him on the same grading level as Teoscar, but both very, very good players for me. Okay. Yep. And then last but not least, moving back into center field, the man of the hour, Gritch Daddy himself, Randall Gritchick, uh, he managed to play in 55 games this year. So out of our starting outfielders, um, Gritchick missed five games. Teoscar missed 10, and Guriel missed 3. So 18 games that these guys are not in the lineup, which makes it a lot easier for a manager to to structure outfield, outfield starts. Uh, obviously, we had guys like Biggio play some time out there. Uh, and we even I think we even saw Santiago Espinal out there once and, and Brandon Drury uh, for mm-hmm. a time. And maybe even, I think, did Jonathan Villar play a couple innings in left field or something at one point, too? It's poten- I can't yeah, remember for sure. I- I'm pretty I sure he right. did, but I mean, VR. Yeah. Otherwise, VR is pretty invisible. Yeah, two Except things we had. Yeah, <laughs> two things we had this year were were stability on our, in our outfields, and for the most part, our rotation was pretty stable. Uh, obviously, we lost Shoemaker early on in the season, so after that, we kind of had a um, a bullpen slot in there, but we were pretty stable there. Not a ton of injuries like we've seen in the past, where we had Stroman and Sanchez and Shoemaker all go down at the same time. So. Um, good to see that we had some stability in there, but in terms of Randall Grichik, now he started off like he started off slow. The first three weeks of the season, Grichik couldn't really do anything. 
And then all of a sudden, near the end of April, we started playing Baltimore a lot. And Brad O'Grichuk loves seeing the Shitbirds logo because he just, for some reason, it just makes him angry. He just starts <laughs> teeing off on everything. Uh, I think if we look at just his Baltimore stats, he probably gets like a, an S tier grade, A++++. Uh, <laughs> but if we look at it as a whole, uh, Grichuk's career batting average, Patrick, is 246. He did manage to hit 273 this year which was almost a career high. He did hit 276 in his first full season with the Cardinals back in 15. But what he did do was, just like everybody else, he dropped his strikeout rate year over year from 26% down to 21.2, almost a 5% drop, which is also 6.5% lower than his career average for strikeouts. His walk rate did stay the same as last year at 5.6%. So he managed to strike out less while walking the same amount, which increased his on-base percentage 32 points. So the big thing for me with Grichuk is, yes, he did hit 12 home runs, but overall he was actually on pace to hit fewer extra base hits than he did a year ago. So that was a little bit concerning for me. I, I did some digging, as you know I like to do, into the like the stat cast numbers um, and hard hit percentage barreled balls so Grichuk was hitting more balls uh he was barreling more balls but he was also hitting less overall hard contact than last year so it seemed like the balls that Randall was connecting with were going quite a long way um but there were a lot of balls that he hit not so not so hard so I think for me Grichuk is going to get I would say a B minus I wanted to give him a B plus or a B, but just looking at the data a little bit deeper, seeing the the advanced numbers for me, which is which are very important, and the fact that he only put up a 0.6 WAR over the full season here, um, I can't put him on the same A tier as Grayel and uh, Tay Oscar. What do you have for Grichuk? I'm giving him a B, although I would admit that I didn't put as much time into looking at his defensive numbers. It's <laughs> not that I, I don't know. Is Grichuk definitely a negative value defender in center field? Is that what the conclusion that uh, statistics say? He definitely was this year. Um, okay. In seasons past, just to give you an example, in twenty from twenty fourteen, his first his rookie season through twenty eighteen, he was a positive value defender. But the last two years, last year in 2019, he was just below average, below replacement level for defense. And this year he was actually way below. So um, he did have uh, some, some range issues this year in the, play, in, in the outfield. So I do think that was him just slowing down. He did have some back issues this year, so maybe he lost a step. Um, so I'm not going to base everything off of one season is it's tough to do that but i do think that yes he was a negative value defender this year to answer your question a long long-winded answer <laughs> yeah sorry about that that little uh, nustling noise you heard was the sound of uh frederick von joining us yeah frederick von <laughs> meowser has joined it this is the first time he's ever been on the podcast. friend of the show welcome welcome freddie <laughs> sorry about that um <laughs> you know the thing that i like about gritchick is that it I mean, aside from the fact that he does have pop in his bat, he sh- he can hit 30 home runs and drive in 80 runs. He did it last year. Uh, yeah. He was certainly on pace for it again this year. Uh, the K rate down, OBP way up. These are all great things. Um, should he be the center field of the future? 
I'm not sure. I would rather a guy like Jackie Bradley Jr. come in, take the role, put Grichik in right, and then have T. Oscar just dedicated, always DHing. <laughs> yeah, I don't. The thing for me is that, as we just learned, uh, our boy T. Oscar is actually improving in the outfield, whereas our guy here, Grich Daddy, is going the opposite direction. So, what if what if I told you, Patrick, that I think that if anybody leaves the outfield, it should be Randall Grichik. But where does he go? Somewhere else. He gets traded for hopefully something. He's on a $10 million contract a season, and he is yeah. producing at that level. Um, teams will look at the, the data and the numbers he's put up, and they'll be willing to, to trade for a guy who puts up positive war value and can hit 30 home runs. There are teams who will take that. And the fact that he is only... Um, I guess, what is he, 29? He'll be 30 in the middle of next season. Um, he still has a lot of shelf life left. So, I don't know. I think it's interesting. You know, I've been thinking about this. The more I think about a Lindor trade, um, the less I think it's feasible for us to be trading one of our immediate outfielders. I think if Richard gets traded, he is on a, f- a more favorable contract than what I think you'll get out of some of these free agent outfielders. Yeah. Um, but imagine trading Grichik, uh, which, you know, I, I'm not over the moon about. I, I like the guy. He certainly loves Toronto, and Toronto loves him. Um, and he's a worthy player, for sure, of this team. If he were to get traded, let's say that hypothetical existed, I would want him to be traded for more pitching help. And then... I would only want him traded if it meant we were absolutely going to sign one of Jackie Bradley Jr. or Michael uh, Brantley, or both. <laughs> both. To be honest with you, Michael Michael Brantley should come in around 17 mil. Um, he's a little bit older, but for, a lot he's better. a left ha- left-handed <laughs> bat, and for what he brings to the team, I think he's got at least three years uh, three years left in his uh, in his MLB career. Something like that. Jackie Bradley Jr. is a lot younger, uh, and he's definitely uh, a better defensive outfielder than probably anybody that we have on this team, including minor league system right now. But like, if we're gonna trade Grichik, we there has to be some sort of complementary outfield uh, signing to replace him, and it means having yeah. to spend more money than what we're already spending. So. It's not the worst thing in the world to keep Grichik out there if it means waiting for the ripe opportunity to sign an outfielder for a good amount of money in their youth. I don't know how it goes. That's the a convincing is, argument for me. <laughs> it's it's weird, though, because like here we are at the end of our grading for uh, for, for our outfield, and we've got two A's and a, and a B, more or less, or a B minus, whatever you want to say. And I mean, mm-hmm. in terms of outfields, we have one of the better ones in the American League. We led really. the league in war this season from our outfield. Yeah. So. so there you go. I mean, that's a great thing. So if these this same outfield got trotted out next year, I think we'd be just as fine. I, I'm not entirely convinced that Teoscar Hernandez is going to see a regression at the plate. I don't see the justification for it. I understand that he overperformed this year, but I don't think it's that simple. It could be that we're seeing the new ceiling for these guys. I don't know. Yeah, but I'm, 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 I'm kind of content like you are with with the same three guys next season. I, I think that there's always room for improvement. 
Um, but at the same time, it, yeah, it would not be the worst thing. I just think we need to be investing the money in pitching and and maybe acquiring Francisco Lindor. But again, it has to be a situation where like, okay, where's Bo Bichette going to play then? Or is Lindor moving to third? Probably not. Kevin Biggio probably moves to third, but... Kevon Biggio or Vladdy stays at third. He's very adamant <laughs> about it. He we'll wants see it. what happens. Yeah. Um, but I mean, an infield that's packed with uh, Bichette, Lindor... Biggio and Guerrero uh, slash Telez. We look every not everybody can DH, so we've got a bit of a logjam. <laughs> what's going on? Uh, yeah. If Guerrero stays at first forever, uh, Rowdy Telez is probably going to DH. And if we sign another outfielder, uh, then guess what? Teoscar Hernandez doesn't necessarily have to be in the outfield anymore. Maybe he does go to DH. So I mean, there's a lot of problems that. Uh, Atkins and Shapiro have to work their way through before they risk signing someone. I'm not entirely against George Springer signing with the Jays, but the whole stink of the Astros in 2017, I don't know. It's hard to shake that. And he did not have a great season this year. So I don't know, man. I don't know what we do. And then the other thing, too, is, and I'm just going to keep rambling because <laughs> there's one one other name we've been attached to that we haven't talked about yet, and that's Andrelton Simmons. Yeah. He's a shortstop. What are we doing? Is is this for real? And that is Bo Bichette going to move away from shortstop? And if he does, where is he going to play? I just don't get it. Where does he go? Yeah, I, I don't know. Can Bo Bichette play second base? I think I think if you can make a throw from shortstop, you should be able to make a throw from uh, from second. Yeah, second. But second is a spot that you don't really – usually second basemen aren't, aren't as great at, at hitting, and the best ones will hit like 300. Is Bo – I don't know, man. Bo has only played like 75 MLB games – but he's a career 307 hitter. Man, is he dynamic. I think yeah. he's our best player, and he will be next year for sure going into the going into the season fresh. But there's just so many questions that free agency is going to answer for us, or it's going to make the answer uh, less complex. And we're just going to have to wait, and that's the annoying thing. We, <laughs> we, waited. we waited extra long uh, to talk about free agency, because we're still waiting for someone to make the first move. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and I think we're going to be waiting for a while be, just because of the uncertainty of what is baseball going to look like. They've released a full schedule, obviously. It came out early into the restarted season. But we don't know. Like The, the coronavirus cases in the United States are still climbing. Um, skyrocketing. Where are the Blue Jays going to play? Are they going to play in Toronto? Are they going to be back in Buffalo? Are they going to be somewhere else like no, Omaha, Nebraska? Um, home of the College World Series, like where are they going to be? Like we just we don't we don't know any answers, and I think the best thing for us to do is just to tell our listeners, you guys at home, to keep coming back to us every week while we speculate and keep you up to date on all the new questions that arise, while also not providing any answers because we frankly don't have any. <laughs> but with that being said, I, th- I think that's really all we have today. I'm going to ramble off a, a, li- a list of places where you can find us. Uh, we host our podcast on Anchor. For anybody out there, it's a free podcast platform. I would highly recommend using them. 
Uh, we also are found on Breaker, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn, along with a bunch of other ones that I don't have on my list here, but I'm just looking at our distribution stats on Anchor right now, and that's the main platform is where we are. So feel free to listen to us any of those. Leave us a review, share it with your friends, send us your questions on Twitter at BFMD Podcast. Patrick and I are going to be back with you again shortly um, to start rating the pitching staff. And I know I was joking when I said we won't have any answers, but hopefully we have something to tell you that is more than just us speculating the next time we talk about maybe a new deal, somebody getting traded somewhere. I'm hoping there'll be something big for us to talk about. But with that being said, we're going to cut it off there. For Patrick, out in Halifax, Nova Scotia, home of lobsters and the and the uh, the moose head, who I still think <laughs> that's a great that's Halifax. a great team name. Moose heads, man. Any, the, anytime you can, even, uh, they're they're bubbling in that league, aren't they? Sidebar. I don't know what they're doing anymore. <laughs> I think they are, but I mean, everybody just stay safe. For yeah. God's sake, stay yeah. home if you can. If you got to go to the grocery store, mask up, do what you got to do, protect yourself, wash your groceries. Everybody, I, I stopped doing that and I need to get back on doing that. We got to take care of ourselves and each other. Exactly. Yeah, Patrick's got that right. We will get past this. This is a small blip on the radar of our lives. And uh, yeah, it's going to get it's going to get better uh, until coronavirus returns with a new and improved strain, just like the new swine flu. We'll be, it'll be back. And in greater numbers, just like sand people. But with that being said, we're going to cut it off here. Uh, for Patrick out in Halifax, I'm Justin Anderson from Saskatoon saying see you next time.